of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 509. Jason Lingren is with me, as is Kyle Denton from Tippy Canoe Herbs. Um, as we get along, I'll probably look up the past episodes where he has been here. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And good morning from Calabasas, California. Yeah, you're on the West Coast. It's earlier than normal for you. To say the least. To say the least. Um, anyhow, welcome, Kyle. Greetings. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. All right. You and I are going to carry this. Jason's got to go out for a minute. Uh, he'll be back before too long. So basically, you know, it was many years ago, I was reading some, you know, I don't know, it was some religious or spiritual text. And one of the supposed masters from days gone by uh, was asked by his disciple, how do we live master? And the master told him it's simple. Uh, plants show us how to live. And I thought that was an interesting idea. So often we've heard the example, oh, live like a butterfly or live like a bee, right? You come get your pollen, you don't destroy things, you know, that's the example. But when you think about plants as the example, it's actually quite interesting when you get beyond its surface. And correct me if I'm wrong, but primarily we're going to get into an idea sort of like that. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what we're going to talk about a lot today. We're going to talk about the the way that you interpret, um, maybe more specifically, how to live like a plant, what the plants are are the messages from them, their their signatures, their doctrine of signatures. And this entire uh, field of study is, it's an art, it's a science, it's a, it, there's some objective qualities to it. There's very personal subjective qualities to it. And I think that's, there's many different approaches. And so I really like another way to call it is, we could say green speak, lingua vert, as opposed to lingua overt, which is what you and I are doing right now. We're having a conversation lingua overt and green speak lingua vert is the imaginative poetic way that uh, a master may convey those ideas to he or she's pupils, I guess. You know, it's interesting in the modern era of automation and grocery stores, we've really lost track of how important the plant kingdom is. And there was a time not too long ago, like even in my grandparents' day, when uh, there's a plant for basically everything in this world. And if we go back before my grandparents, or maybe in the early life of my grandparents, early 1900s, plants played a massive role in remedies, in health, in just about every aspect of life. But since the, the onset of you know, synthetic living, kind of factoritized synthetic things, we've really lost uh, track of how important plants are. And I would estimate that until we start to get back to comprehending the important role of plants, uh, the synthetic world is going to continue to grow around us and create problems. All of that is tied together a lot with the just losing of our spiritual sight, losing track of our, of our spiritual guidance. Um, divorcing ourselves from nature. And um, in my opinion, um, when, we're, when we're bringing ourselves back to source and bringing ourselves back to creation and knowing what's whole and healing again, uh, we can look at the stars, we can look at scriptures, and we can look at plants. And I think that one of the, the fun things for me is seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Excuse me. Seeing seeing a cosmological model in the way that the plants are growing. So actually, um, it's Paracelsus 
that says um, the stars are the model, the blueprint for all planets. He, he goes on to say each herb is from its side an earthly star and belongs to the sky, and each star is a heavenly plant in the spirit. So that not only we're not only talking about the the second hermetic principle of you know as above so below as within so without when, we're, when in regards to the signatures being you know representing our organ systems and how they can heal us which is a really great way of decoding this stuff but now here we are also if we have a cosmological model then we can have a personal connection as well and yeah it's it's true we can go to any we could go to Walmart 365 days a year and under the fluorescent lights we could find an avocado and I live in Wisconsin and they don't grow here <laughs> but I have a saying that I like to say and uh, I'm gonna kind of back up this claim a little bit later in our show here but um, we we have the herbs that we need at the times that we need them this is something I like to say a lot and as you were talking about not only is there a plant in this world for everything. But I think there's a plant in our area for everything that we experience within our bioregion and more specifically, and to be in tune with that. That's, that's really the key. And of course, we can get avocados from Mexico and California, and we can put them in places where, where we can access them all the time. But are we supposed to be eating them all the time? Are we supposed to be eating strawberries in December? Things like that. Well, it's a key point you make because this is this is one of the effects of synthetic living. Um, it convinces us, or we begin to live live as if time doesn't matter, season doesn't matter. And again, the plant kingdom proves that this is not correct. A plant grows when a plant grows. Typically, any given plant has a growing season when it typically comes into being, when it flowers, when it fruits. And this is the idea of the synthetic world where we've been so pulled away from the natural truths. We have fallacious ideas right now that somehow a chemical in a bottle given at any time of the year uh, has the power to cure us. And with all the interviews we've done, we've heard many doctors say that none of these pharmaceuticals have ever cured anybody of anything. And uh, Paracelsus, who were you just quoting, I believe he is one of the men who put forward for the body to be cured. First, you have to provide something that is of the body or that makes up the body. And right there and then, if there's any truth to these statements, which I accept that there are, what you instantly know is you have to get things from nature if you want to have any curative effect. But then what we further know is that for a plant to be used as a medicine, it has its season. And uh, I suppose we can dry them, but there's nothing more powerful than comprehending the plants, what they're for, when they come to be, and how they correspond to the, the sky clock. And as an example of that, and I'm probably a poor example, I have been pretty centered on herbs for much of my garden growing life. And in that, I became familiar with the idea of things like, let's say, sage, I believe, is supposed to be a sun plant. There's a lot being communicated in that. I mean, what would you add? Well, I would add that um, when we're describing plants being of the body or the remedy being of the body in Paracelsus description, uh, the question is, what is the body? Are we going to examine that from a materialist paradigm? Are we looking at the body as Paracelsus did, which is a condensation of spiritual energy into various layers of emotional mental bodies and same way steiner thinks of this way too before we get to this you know uh tap on forehead 
density <laughs> that we have in our material body. And so there, because of all of these layers exist for what we call a body, and maybe they're the way that we can measure them becomes more and more difficult. They're certainly there, and at least in uh, in in the opinion of those who can see without the three three inch lead blindfold of materialism, and um, and so yeah, the what we see here is plants that have relationships to heavenly bodies, like sage, like you mentioned, sage. Um, some things about sage that come to mind too are the signet the signatures of sage. It looks like when it's in flower and it's about to flower in my garden, it looks like an opera singer. Ah, it's got this flower that looks like a throat that comes out. And, we, and of course, if you get a sore throat, one of the best remedies that you can have, grab some sage leaves, put them in a pot of water, drink it for some tea. The sage stores really well. If you look at the sage leaf, it's all wrinkly. And um, that's a signature for old age being wrinkled and dried out from oils. So sage is a great while it is drying to um, breast milk as well, helping women wean off. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we could just learn by. I don't need to necessarily look at the books, especially if we see. My goal is to uh, is is with learning the signatures and teaching the signatures. This is part of my big part of my work. Is that is being remembered? Or, sorry, reminding my myself and others of this time. That you know, people didn't always read and write. Maybe that was the the tree of <laughs> the tree of the apple that we shouldn't have you know necessarily bitten from because this knowledge, this wisdom that we can constantly take and share and share and manipulate has is one way, maybe one step away from divorcing from nature. And that back in time, it wasn't even that long ago, a couple hundred and fifty years ago, most people didn't know how to read and write. But how did this wisdom get passed on? Well, there was certainly a lot of text that were you know from the courts and the priest class that were passed on about it's passed on from Greek medicine, from Ayurvedic medicine. But for the most people, 99% of people that are out there healing themselves, they learn, they knew this language, this language of the plants. And, um, and so that's what yeah, let's, we can get into that further if you'd like. Well, I want to touch on a thing that's in your opening in the notes that I'm going over here as we speak. You talk about the doctrine of signatures. Now, is that a formalized thing? Like if I did an internet search, would I come up with ideas about the doctrine of signatures? And beyond that, what do you mean when you say the doctrine of signatures when we're referring to the plant kingdom? So this is a term that Paracelsus coined. And Paracelsus, and just a quick reminder, he was like a Renaissance era physician and he was a, a well-traveled person. He was from Switzerland, but he, he was in Italy and all these places and maybe the father of alchemy in a lot of ways. A very, very interesting heretical <laughs> to the establishment uh, physician of his day. So he basically one of the things that he was he was interested in was these spiritual applications. He learned a lot from his universities and stuff like that. But when when he left university and got kicked out um, and almost got <laughs> kicked out by a, a mob in the middle of the night, uh, when he was a professor, he went to, around and traveled and he uh, listened to the farmers and the root doctors and the <laughs> the the witches and the people that were healing all around the countryside from the steppes of Russia down to Israel and and um, and in the Ottoman Empire area and just kind of came and asked him, well, how are you how are you finding these things? And they say, what we're seeing are these patterns, these patterns in creation and this and here's the thing. Nature doesn't make 
waste. It doesn't just try things willy-nilly. It doesn't say, oh, you know what? I'm going to try a blue apple just to see if the people or the animals like it. There's these patterns that are established, and it's almost like a law that I think it is a law. There's these laws. There's these ways that things can be shaped. There's these ways that things are formed. Are they dictated by the cosmos? Are they? Do they come down and, and form these plants and into these cosmos? And in, and in those same patterns, those are the patterns that govern our health, our body, the organization of ourselves, of our thoughts, of our, um, of our physiology as well. And the signature that we're seeing is the signature of its creator. Just like if you were to make a contract and you sign it, that is your signature on your creation. And the signature of these is the signature of our creator, of the creator of all things, the creator of, of, of all life. And because the, it's the same signature that we find in our body, it's the same signature that we find in the natural world. And it's the same signature that we find in the sky. And in, and in the, the patterns that we attribute to the um, archetypes that we call those luminaries up there. That's, we say, oh, that one's, that one's Venus. It's beautiful. There's a lot of beautiful things that come to it. And when we see it in the moving through the sky over eight years, it makes this beautiful five-petaled flower. And then we say, oh, wow, the things that, come, that, that, um, that express themselves as a five-petaled flower here on this realm, they also encode a lot of this uh, ideas of beauty. They have a relationship with the way that that, that uh, archetype has on our body with the way that we are the reproductive and the loveliness of our body as well. Our senses, our sensuality, as in feeling embodied, as in the touch of taste and, and uh, those types of senses. I know the word sensuality, a lot of times it's been scrambled to make it think like sexuality, but I'm talking about just being in the senses. And that's what, that's what we call that archetype up there, that luminary in the sky we call Venus. Um, it could, we could, it could call, that's the, the thing about Shakespeare he says a rose by a different name. And that's what it is, is it, it's the same exact thing. We could call it uh, Venus. We could call it, um, Isis. We could call it whatever, but it all has the same relationship and the, and it will always be present in the plants at the same time. So the reason I asked the question and brought it up is because people do the search for the doctrine of signatures. Of course, Wikipedia is going to come up on top and it's going to immediately <laughs> begin to defame the idea. And as a matter of fact, I think it was yesterday I looked and they were using an example of some plant that looked like a uterus. People used it. They are claiming for pregnancy and it's a carcinogen. So they're calling it pseudoscience and they're defaming it. But when we get back to some of the herbal based search returns, what we find when we look at the signatures is things that are helpful. It's about the shape, the color. When does it come to be? When does it bloom? these ideas add into the signature and part of one of the things you know that's why i'm happy to speak with people like you because i know you're working to get these ideas back on the table the color uh the complexity of a plant tell you so many things as an example if we grab something like let's say some common plant like lavender um, which is commonly considered to be blue or violet it is claimed that there was a time when someone would come along and they'd say, oh, that tells me something about the wavelength. This is a higher frequency and blue and violet are the shortest wavelengths. Then they might begin to correspond it out to chakra models. Like I think maybe the throat, the third eye and the crown in some way, maybe depending on which system you're using, you could start to correspond to that part of the spectrum that goes from the edge of blue to the far side of violet. And this is really what we're talking about in the signatures, right? Yeah, that's right. 
the idea being that an alchemist could walk into the garden, look at a plant and say, hey, look, that's a blue. I know that's a higher frequency blue. The way I look at it, when I try to teach myself is I even start to go so far as what color blue is that? To get that shade of blue, would I add black if I was making it with additive color? Or would I add white? Because that tells me if I would add white to get to that blue, I'm going more to the spiritual side. I'm going the opposite way. So isn't this really what we're getting into when we're truly talking about the signature of the doctrine of signatures for the plant kingdom that is so defamed online now? We have so many levels of resolution, which is why it's so fun, right? We can zoom right up to the color. We can look right at the flower. We can zoom out a little bit. We can look at how is that flower erect? Is it hanging down on the ground? Is it is it uh, brilliant in the sun or is it shaded, sh- hiding from the sun? These are relating to the cosmological aspects as well. Is it, um, uh, how is it interacting with other plants? Does it like other plants? Is there, is there, is it wind pollinated? Is it, are there insects attracted to it? What does the environment look like? Um, and all of these things are going to, and what time of year, what time of year is it uh, coming up? What, are, all, what all of these things are teaching us more and more about our own body. So we can have like Wikipedia does, we can have this like very reductionist sense where we say, you know, there's this plant and they, those silly people, <laughs> they think that there's a thing called uh, God. And then they also think that there's a, <laughs> that God made a, a plant that looks like uterus. It's just a coincidence. Um, we just, dis- we discovered actually that if you take this plant and you p- pull out this one component and synthesize it and then inject it into the veins of rats that they die, <laughs> got them. Um, <laughs> but what we're actually discovering uh, or rediscovering is you know, validating the ancient wisdom and encouraging a practice of holistic thought and holistic mentality. And of course it can be, we can work acutely and we can work into a, um, a model of, and that's fun. That's a really fun exercise to look at colors, look at how, look at the shape, look at the movement, but then just bringing those patterns outwards and outwards and outwards again. And then until you get as far as you can see, and that is the, the, the sky clock. And you could see those patterns whoop, all the way, like fractal patterns, all the way back down to the plant, all the way into our, into our person. It's the second principle of correspondence right there. You know, if you consider a, the plant kingdom and you notice, you know, at this time of year, these plants are doing things. And in the older days, there would be a correspondence with not only the sky clock, the zodiac to the human body. You might even begin to correspond that, you know, there used to be like a flu season as an example, right? So depending where you are, the plants that would treat that would come ready or usable in that time of the year. But I feel like we've lost a whole encyclopedic knowledge where probably there was a time when the frequency or the cymatic pattern of a color would have been known what frequency that was, what it meant, how it corresponded with the human body, typically what it meant. But now we're at a place where they're deep. The the sad thing about what Wikipedia is doing and like what they do to Gerson is they successfully defame a thing. Um, I remember, I don't know, years ago, and I've mentioned it before, I I saw a guy in the Amazon. They were out there asking him about the medicinal properties of plants, and he was natively born in the Amazon. And he one example he gave is, look at this plant. You can see how the leaves look like lungs. We use this for lungs. And so there must be something to these ideas, yet that is exactly what's being called pseudoscience. 
and being defamed. But it feels to me like we have almost an encyclopedic knowledge that has to be recovered from shape to color to frequency. I mean, all of it, because it all applies to what we're talking about in the plant kingdom. It's a, an entire language, but it's not, it's not just a language, it's a lifestyle. So the anthropologist would go on, how did you learn these things? The plant taught me. Well, in their notes, you know, in, in their presentations back at Harvard or whatever, they'd be like, haha, these people... They think they could talk to plants, uh, superstitious, but um, turns out coincidence, there's a, um, there's a plant that does help for the lungs and it's just a coincidence. But when they say the plants talk to them, they're, we're not talking about the same word like that you and I are having this overt link, this lingua overt. They're, ta- they're using the green tongue and the way that the plants are communicating with them might be in dreams. They might be through animals, uh, signatures. Uh, spirit signatures they're called in a lot of native practices where you're seeing how the the animal might be have a relationship with this plant for example like a a bear when the the first plants that they dig up when they wake up in the in the springtime are these oily roots that are really helpful for digestion and they're really helpful for the emaciated bear like um uh type of person let's say and then and in it and it goes on into other forms of the natural world with animals as well. And that, so, yeah, I, I totally agree. The, um, but I forgot what we were talking about. Crow, sorry. Well, we were basically, we were basically <laughs> talking about getting back to the comprehension of what nature is showing us. And, and I practice it all the time and I'm not very good at it. If I was full time, I might get better at it, but you know, we've had guests on that have done things like pointed out that a bee is probably more closely associated with a higher dimension than we are. The idea that the vibration of a bumblebee, as an example, is making them weightless. The idea that the scent of a plant itself is coming from a higher dimension. All these things have been laid down, but we've lost, you know, most of us have lost what it means. And to me, this is wholly due to synthetic living. But I think there's a lot of people taking an interest in getting back. But you, in your notes here, you point out the retroactive causality. And this is right after you did a note on invasive plants, which is interesting because where we are now, there are so many plants that have been introduced in so many places. It's hard to even know what's native to your area. In some areas, there's more so-called introduced plants than there are the native ones. But what is the retroactive causality that you're referring to in your notes? So again, when I, when I'm standing, when I'm doing my classes, I'm doing an herb walk, I'm in the field, standing on a log and teaching to people, I'll say this very often. I'll say plants are in the places that we need at the times that we need them. And what I'm referring to generally when I'm speaking is health benefits. Like for example, in the springtime, we're finding a lot of these roots like the bears would eat that are going to be helpful for our digestion, helpful for our lymphatic system, helpful for purging off the sloughing off the way that our body wanted to hold on to every last little drop of mucus and every booger from the winter, because it was, that's what hell was. Right. And then when summer, summertime, so on, we have plants that are going to help us keep us cool in the fall. We have plants that are going to root us and ground us and ground our mind and bring us and help us with storage. And in the winter, we do what we can. Um, and then the cycle starts over again. So we don't find plants that are going to keep us cool in the winter. We don't find plants that are going to help us like detoxify our lymphatic system and our liver in the winter or in the in late in the summer. That's they're in these places that that they're supposed to be at the times that they're supposed to be. And it's almost as if it's almost as if there is 
that time isn't linear and that there's this there's this cyclical nature and if there's nothing new under the sun so i so if i take that that claim that i stand behind all the way further then i start to i start to think about this particular i start to think about the invasive plants that are that are popping up right now so what is the i guess i have like a very it's a contentious top topic. I have a controversial position. I'm willing to stand behind them in the comment section, <laughs> but I, uh, but my stance on invasive plants is that I think, well, I think first of all, that the term invasive is a psyop at best to sell poison that will eventually like accumulate in a watershed. And, and at worst it's um, to divorce us from recognizing some bigger patterns of cause and effect, and even like the changing of an age. So my question, when I see, so-called invasive plants is what is the ecological function of these things? Why? Like, what is the greater reason why they're here? And if we look at things from a, a very tight resolution and we say, oh, uh, and we have an attachment to our ego and how things are supposed to be. And I really like the blood root and I really like the, these uh, trillium and these natives and stuff like that. So I'm going to go out there and pull up the garlic mustard, bad garlic mustard. I'm not even going to compost it. I'm going to throw it in a, in a garbage bag and make sure it dies in a landfill somewhere. But I, my, my question when I see these invasives is, you know, what, what the heck are they doing here? Well, there, there's a relationship to um, the deer. There's more deer than there, than there has been in the past. Why are there more deer? Well, because we got rid of the predators. Well, why do we get rid of the predators? Because the, the ranching industry and the settlers, blah, blah, blah. So you could see this, it just goes out further and further and further. And then there's a, there's an impact and the, these plants, these plants occupy habitats and there's a reason for them. It's not like the plants like got together in a little council and they're like, let's go cross the border. Yay. Um, you know, and they, and then they cross the border. Um, well, there, there may have been like a secret plant council in a spiritual way, but, <laughs> but anyway, when I see things like invasive plants and I don't, I don't examine them from this materialist paradigm and I'm looking at, you know, some of the other things that are occurring in our age right now. So we have um, garlic mustard, which is, you know, there's wall to wall media in the, in the plant world on get out there in the spring and get rid of this garlic mustard. And it's, and it's funny to me because it's a very Martian plant and it really does muster up this martial energy to like pull it out. But um, as a plant, it is one of the most nutritious superfoods on earth. Like this is a plant that would be ex exceptional medicine to people and to their, to their body and to repairing their body and their nutrition. There's kudzu, which is a, um, an invasive vine that grows. If you ever drive on the highways that go through like Tennessee and North Carolina and stuff like that, you just see kudzu like covering these, the, the trees, the forest for a little bit. All down the freeway, some parts of the freeway. I mean, it's just like blanketed with kudzu. Right. And so, but the thing is, is that that's what we see. We see it close to the freeway because that's where it grows. It grows in disturbed soil. So it's, there's the signal too. If you go further into the forest, you don't see it like completely blanketing the forest, but kudzu is a circulatory remedy in Chinese medicine, famous one, and, and it helps slow blood clotting. Huh, funny that it's coming up um, at the time that maybe a lot of people need it. And here it is in, a, in, in like vast quantities, help, very helpful for blood clotting. Could that be a, a good remedy for our times? Hmm. Japanese knotweed. This is one of the highest sources of resveratrol, which is used in a lot of treatment of so-called Lyme disease and or, or people that have been affected in, in a way that they're relating to a tick bite or something like that. But Japanese knotweed is, is a very, very, very helpful remedy. And that is also an invasive plant. Get it away. Uh, we got to poison it. We got to kill it. There's no way to dig it up. 
is what they say. But I'm saying my my question is, I'm looking at the ecology. I'm looking at the the signatures. I'm looking at the age, the the changing the age, and what we need. And I'm wondering because those things had been here for just a short amount of time and presented themselves to us. And then this is what I'm playing with, with this concept of causal uh, of uh, retroactive causality is that if indeed um, plants are here for us at the time that we need them, then I need to be able to back. I need to be able to back that up into the realm of how how can plants help mitigate frequencies, non-native um, EMF frequencies, um, things like chemtrails, toxic chemicals, all this stuff. If that's true, and so. I I definitely stand by my claim that plants are here at the time that we need them, but I'm playing around with this specific concept here. And I can go a little bit deeper into that and give some examples too, if you want. I think we should. And I like the way you're looking at it. It's, it's interesting. I hadn't considered the way that you're, that you're talking about it as if, you know, quit thinking they're invasive. Maybe they're showing up here because they're needed here. And it makes me think because when I was in San Diego, you can grow almost anything all the time. Here in Rhode Island, not so much, but what I notice is like certain basils or sages, um, clearly the winter is going to kill them back. But I've noticed a few times, actually a lot of times, these things have, are coming back now. Um, they're not supposed to be able to survive the winter, but some of them do underground. But wasn't it Paracelsus? I, I could be wrong, but wasn't it Paracelsus who said, get it away. Uh, we got to poison it. We got to kill it. There's no way to dig it up. Is what they say, but I'm saying my my question is, I'm looking at the ecology, I'm looking at the the signatures, I'm looking at the age, the, the changing the age, and what we need, and I'm wondering because those things had been here for just a short amount of time and presented themselves to us, and then this is what I'm playing with, with this concept of causal uh, or of uh, retroactive causality, is that if indeed. Um, plants are here for us at the time that we need them. Then I need to be able to back. I need to be able to back that up into the realm of how how can plants help mitigate frequencies, non-native um, EMF frequencies, um, things like chemtrails, toxic chemicals, all this stuff. If that's true, and so I I definitely stand by my claim that plants are here at the time that we need them. But I'm playing around with this specific concept here. And I can go a little bit deeper into that and give some examples too, if you want. I think we should. And I like the way you're looking at it. It's, it's interesting. I hadn't considered the way that you're, that you're talking about it as if, you know, quit thinking they're invasive. Maybe they're showing up here because they're needed here. And it makes me think because when I was in San Diego, you can grow almost anything all the time here in Rhode Island, not so much, but what I notice is like certain basils or sages, um, clearly the winter is going to kill them back. But I've noticed a few times, actually a lot of times, these things have, are coming back now. Um, they're not supposed to be able to survive the winter, but some of them do underground. But wasn't it Paracelsus? I, I could be wrong, but wasn't it Paracelsus who said every plant has its important function, no matter how noxious or undesirable or something like that? Yeah, it's true. It's it really is true, and it's just the the fun mystery. And it's just like, um, how would we re regard our relationship? How would we regard this healing crisis that we're you know that you might be going through this illness? What's the lesson in that? And so that can be a fun personal personal journey. There might be something that is just for you know a lesson for that person, and it might just be a spiritual lesson. But there is an importance to that because 
the spirit begets the emotional, mental, which begets the physical. And so just a little tiny vibration can change how something manifests. Just a little tiny, just a little tiny notch on in 432 up to 433 or 444. Now all of a sudden this pattern shifts and it's no longer as coherent. And the same thing can be said about how the materiality manifests with with plants too. And just and just it's fun to explore. And just, you know, if for me, when I see things that are I'm a I'm a I'm a weed lover. And I'm talking about like, you know, the the noxious weeds. I really like those. And so I know that people like their um their so-called native plants and stuff like that. And I have a problem with that word too, because it, you know, native to what? Native to this imaginary line that I call Wisconsin or or 1493 or whatever. But I, I forgot where I was going, but I'll tell you what. You were talking about the noxious weeds that that you love and, and the idea of what's endemic and why it's called endemic. Yeah, because one of the reasons why I love them is because I, they're, they're speaking to me. I feel like in a, uh, a voice for them and they make the best medicine. They're there. They are powerful. They have vitality. They have oomph. And whether I'm going to be using that in a material dose or, or spiritual doses. So I'm going to give you an example here. Uh, there's a plant that's been coming in lately as a quote invasive. It's called Siberian squill. And Siberian squill is if you, uh, if you look at the flower, it's, a, it's an early spring flower. It's one of the first flowers that you find in spring. And now a days in the Midwest, it's starting to blanket the, the forest floor. Normally you're talking about the blue star-shaped flower. Yeah. Okay. And when you go and when you walk into a trail in the woods in the springtime, there's no leaves, there's no plants besides this one yet. It's the first one up. It is like you are looking at the blue sky, sky blue everywhere. And I'm not talking about like the blue skies that we have now, Crow. I'm talking about like ye old blue sky from like 1989 or even earlier. So when, I, when I've been teaching about this plant, I've been teaching about it for like 10 years and constantly learning about it. And every, every year I come back to it and I think about it and do my research. And the, the research always says, you know, this is a poisonous plant. Don't use it. And I'm like, God oh, dang it. That's, that's a bummer because there's so much of it. And then I start sitting with the plant and just like meditating, being there, being present. And that's when this language of the plant starts to reveal itself to me through me um, and my sub- subjectively. And it's saying to me, uh, and this is how I always teach it too, oh, make a flower essence, which is a vibrational medicine. Do you know what a flower essence is? Well, I mean, I know what the essence of a flower is, but what are you referring to directly? So there's a type of remedy. It's not unlike a homeopathic remedy where... Oh, okay. okay go ahead. So in homeo- homeopathy, you're making a tincture for, uh, at, at one point, at the beginning stage, you make a tincture from, let's say, belladonna, which is poisonous. And then you dilute that you know, 30 to 100, 300, multiple, multiple times until that belladonna tincture, the original imprint of the belladonna tincture is just a vibrational imprint in the in the final product. And this and with a flower essence, you're doing a virtually the same thing, but instead of infusing something and making a tincture of it first, you're only extracting the vibrational quality of the plant, which is the flower. The flower is the highest vibration of the plant. So you are putting that um that spiritual quality as if you are um imprinting a cymatic form into the water, which is a receptacle for um holding that memory. And then you store that in a way with by adding a little bit of alcohol. And with that is your mother tincture. And with that, you could take a drop of that 
and that drop will be um, you put you know you put a dropper into a into a, a full ounce bottle or something like that, and in the same way in the um, homeopathic remedies. And so they're working on a vibrational level. They're working on they work on energetic beings. So I'm an energetic being. You're an energetic being. But if somebody on Wikipedia is like we're not energetic beings, I don't know if that it would work at least in a placebo way. But so I'm teaching with Siberian Squill. The best way to work with this plant is to make a flower essence on a day when the sky is clear. And so in that case, sometimes you got to get up early and um, beat, beat the, beat the planes and make it on a day when the sky is clear, you get some water that's uh, ideally spring water, but water that's been prayed over the best water that you can find, put it in a glass bowl, just you're infusing it into the, you know, the, the bird songs, everything is present in this. And when I'm doing this, I'm also imagining the medicine of the Siberian school as a flower essence, which is for, uh, transmuting hate and despair of things that you cannot control into joy. So wait a minute, you're making a spagyric. So I'm not familiar. I mean, I'm familiar with the idea of taking the imprint and the vibration, but basically you're using just water to get at what you're referring to as the essence of the plant. Is that what you're doing? You're taking the plant and putting it in water to begin this process. Right. There's no spagyria. It's just, it's just a water in a bowl put the flowers in the bowl, um, pray, have intention. It's just like basically making a holy water. <laughs> but uh, the church is the woods and um, the, the, the people that use this uh, are, you know, they don't necessarily dip their hand when they walk into the, to the church, but you can, you can use it as a spray. You can use it as a, as a dropper. You can take it internally. You can mix it into your cleaning supplies. You can mix it into paint. And one of the things that I'm learning with Siberian squill is that because it represents, when I see it in the woods, it represents like a surrogate sky, a surrogate blue sky. So to me, that is, and I'm, 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 I'm just playing with this. I can't like stand behind this as a, as a strong claim yet. But if you were to put a dropper of, uh, or one drop of Siberian squill with all of this intention as a surrogate sky into let's say other ways that you might be busting up chemtrails in the sky to bring that, that blue sky back to lose the despair and the hate and the anger that we have that the ego that we have in the same way that we might have like in uh, against invasive plants. Oh, I want, it's supposed to be this way. And instead just having gratitude and joy that, uh, that blue sky is present. And, um, and even if it's, even if it's not exactly what we see um, th that it is up there and that we can be in touch with it, that we could be in tune with it. And for people who are in, who have been in energetic practices like Qigong and stuff like that, you could be in a, a yoga studio somewhere and you're imagining that you have the ground underneath you. And so that you're grounding, this is the surrogate ground. Uh, Christopher Gardner on his podcast talks about having surrogate hands for uh, doing massage. And this is a plant to me that we can capture the essence of the surrogate sky and bring this into a potion or maybe even put it into your vinegar. And I would like to talk about that too, uh, in order to maybe have a remedy to bust up, <laughs> bust up what's going on up there. Because I know that we're just talking about vibrational things and I'm not talking about like major, major weapons, but I have, I stand in faith when I make this medicine that um, no weapon that is uh, made will, will prosper. No weapon made against us will prosper. And that herbs are there and the plant medicine is there for us at the time that we need it. As a participant of 
and beneficiary of this creation. And as a as somebody who recognizes that this is a free will realm, but teachers like you know, I've had many teachers before remind me of this, and even you, I have to give you credit that remind me that if we participate, participate with nature, participate with the natural world, that it will participate back with us. That there is something, there is an, uh, uh, a correspondence, that there is a, a recognition of this participation. And it's really fun to play around with. And so I'm, I'm just in the beginning stages of this, but... Um, Reciprocal relationship. But I want to sum up real quick. All right. So you taught me something about the idea of essences. I thought about what you just laid down. I recognized the validity of the, the idea because Dr. Emoto showed me that I can take my intention and I can embed it in water. So what you are calling the plant essence, it's almost a similar thing. You're putting the plant in the water, allowing the plant to put its intention into the water. But your idea about the chemtrails, I love that. And I'm guessing people are listening and I'm guessing people might be in a place where they get Siberian squill. I would be very interested to hear if people, and so what you're suggesting is when you're boiling your vinegar, just to add the squill in and you've got. I don't want to call it magic, but the intention, the, the magic of intention is already going to be partially provided because as you keep referring to, the blue reminds you of the blue sky. And so there's an absolute correspondence drawing on the list of hermetic principles, but I'm with you. Have you tried this or, or are you just kind of working this out right now? That vinegar thing is getting a lot of attention, by the way. People have been asking us a lot. The vinegar works, everybody. It's no joke. Kyle, have you done the vinegar? I got, <laughs> I get uh, people asking me now, hey, I, it was really clear today. Have you been boiling vinegar? <laughs> so I, I'm kind of making a reputation of it right now and playing around with it. I'm t- I'll, I'll tell you my experience. All right. For, so first of all, vinegar is plants. So plants that we need at the time that we need them. How do you make vinegar? You get it from rice. You get it from grapes. You get it from wine. You get it from apple peels. You can make your own vinegar. It's very easy. And I'll come back to that in a second. But when I experience it, and it's summertime, so we got nice high sun in the sky. But if you hold your hand out in front of you um, and you do the the trick where you're trying to see how much time on the horizon is left and you get about four fingers and that's 40 minutes and six fingers is 60 minutes, I I could get everything to about that six finger mark around the horizon, which is awesome. It's almost like a, a, a bull. But... They just bomb the shit out of the West at night at, at sunset. They're like, don't look behind that curtain. <laughs> don't look behind it. And uh, so that's the, that's the, the hour before sunset. I, uh, there's, I haven't been able to. Um... Let me give you an idea here. So, and I learned this from my telescope. For years, I would like shoot wherever I was and I would shoot my telescope over houses. That's a huge mistake for the simple fact that the heat is radiating up off the houses, which taught me what I'm about to tell you. And it occurred to me, because I know I did the vinegar for the first time years ago and my jaw dropped it. It work works. I mean, like it's almost, you got to stand back and say, am I looking at just massive coincidence here? But after you do it a few times, you recognize this is real. But at as the sun is going down, the heat exchange, like if you grab a pair of binoculars, uh, the last hour of sunlight, and you look across housetops, you can see the heat exchange. You can see the heat radiating up. And it occurred to me that would be the prime time to do the vinegar because all that heat's drawing upward into the atmosphere. But I kind of stepped on the middle of where you were going and you were about to tell me whether you find that the vinegar works. 
Yeah, it works awesome. And that's a great, that's a great point. So I've been, yeah, I've been trying it different times of the day. I've been trying to do it before, like noticing, oh, wow, it's clear skies right now. And then I look at my app on my phone that says, oh, at, at one o'clock PM, it's going to be cloudy. I'm like, huh, that doesn't make sense. How's it going to be cloudy? Oh, I, I see what's going on here. So I'll, <laughs> I'll try, I'll try, I'll try to get ahead of it um, and watch and try to like change things. So I, I'm, I'm playing around. I'm having a good time. Here's something that I've been having fun with and and learning. So I know that maybe that this, that the vinegar trick could be explained scientifically. I think Amanda was kind of talking about that in one of your previous episodes, Amanda Vollmer. And I think that there might be something to the reaction of the acids. And I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain how uh, a gallon of vinegar and the acids in it can really have <laughs> a, 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 we're talking like 30 mile radius. Right. Impact. Massive effect. So I'm I'm actually under the impression that we are just making a signal to interact with our environment by doing this routine. And by doing that, we are it's actually as simple as committing to to doing something to uh, and that has an effect on the outcome. And just like in any experiment. So you're suggesting that if we prayed while we were doing it, we might even get better results. Uh, not only that. If you prayed while you do it, and then and then supplement the vinegar with some of these things, like some of like a a, a a botanical essence that is like, oh, this is a poison plant. What's what good is it for? Hmm, I wonder. It just reminds me of the sky. It's it looks like the sky. I could come out here and be reminded of what a blue sky looks like. So mm-hmm. I can. I, I'm gonna. So here's here's another thing that I did. I, I I I'm really because I'm a medicine maker and I make medicine for my community. <laughs> I'm always thinking about how to, how to improve that. And so I went out one day and I, and, uh, the sun, the dandelions were out. This was this spring and I made some vinegar with the dandelions. I picked them under the sun and, and the dandelion has signatures of the sun. It is bright. It's, uh, it brings back light into your body. It has, hey, isn't this- it a sun plant? Oh. It's a, it's, it's, it's multiple. It's a, ah. it's a very, it's a very mutable, mutable plant because mm. it's solar. Yes. Because of the solar, the qualities that it works on our solar plexus, it works in the, in the liver and the gallbladder as well. And that's what that, that sun is signaling, but it's also Jupiterian because of its expansiveness. So, and it's, and the way that it's saying like, use me abundantly, here's a bunch of me. That's a very Jupiterian quality as well. So yes, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, harvesting it on a Sunday. I'm trying to really gather uh, all of the alchemy of the sun when I'm harvesting this harvesting in the, in uh, early in the day. And make a vinegar. So I take the the dandelions, I put them into some water, hot water, and I'm boiling it, let it steep overnight. So in the same way that you would make dandelion wine, add some sugar or honey and let it ferment. And then once it ferments into a, a, a couple of days, then you strain the dandelions off then you just let it keep fermenting. And it usually takes about a week and a half, two weeks or something like that. And now I have a dandelion vinegar. And as I'm picking these dandelions, I'm like, I'm singing my songs. I'm whispering to the dandelions in my way of communicating with plants that someday you're going to be medicine for the sky. You're going to be medicine to bring back the brightness of the sun. And now I have about a half a gallon of this vinegar. And if I use that whole thing in my uh, boiled vinegar, then it, it wouldn't be enough. But I will use a teaspoon or a tablespoon along with some of these other, let's just say homeopathic remedies. Oh, homeopathic remedies, they don't work because there's not enough in there to, to make an impression on, on, the, on the physical human body. Well, it's the same principle. We're taking it above. We're taking this homeopathic principle of 
It's not enough, <laughs> but we're imprinting that into our right. into our ceremony to bring back the brightness of the sun. So, does it always work? Well, I'm sometimes I'm finding that the that the medicine is actually just for me because the medicine it like my I get so worked up sometimes and I get so bent out of shape about the sky that really it takes it it puts me into a a, a, sp- a space of despair and anger and that actually the medicine was for me to like let go of that despair and anger and to continue to live my life and and be a helpful guide of medicine and other times it's it actually is doing that and it really does bring me a lot of joy so i have to interrupt i'm sorry jason's pinging me we've got to wrap up for hour 1 but you've given me so much to think about i mean what if we simply did you know i'm watching the chemtrails i know damn well they're blocking the sunlight what if i went and grabbed one of my favorite plants which i always grow in abundance which is sage which is a sun plant and i imprint the intention of all that into my vinegar there's so much that we need to think about i'm guessing people are going to latch on to some of these ideas i'm hoping people will you know come back into comments and tell us what they notice what they learn part of the problem is is like I forgot about this vinegar thing for years because I cover so many things. David Weiss says, Crow, is this real? I go, oh my God. Yeah, this is as real as real can be. He's doing it in Connecticut. I start doing it and I see like literally a 30 mile sky cleanup the first time I do it. I do two gallons, by the way. But these things are the real deal. And adding in what you are talking about is a bit like how fortune does his spagyric remedies. He's taking an an imprint, but Kyle, we've got to wrap. We're going a little bit over time. Please tell folks where they can find you. And by the way, if you go to his website, there's all kinds of herbal products. So quickly tell folks where they can contact you or find you. Yeah. Thanks, Crow. Real quick. Get yourself a buddy, get yourself a couple buddies, try to triangulate a position, 10 mile radius or something like that. And that's really fun and set up a time and be like, all right, we're going to, we're going to let this loose at 11 AM or something like that. And that's, uh, that's, <laughs> it's really cool. Uh, make it a community effort. Find me at tippycanoeherbs.com. We've got some online classes coming up. We've got, we're going to do some this summer on astro signatures. Um, we're doing once a month, a, um, astro herbalism class, uh, with chance gardens, um, interverse, podcast. It's a live show on Wednesday and we have a really fun panel of mystics and symbolic nerds and um, another herbalist. And so every every sign of the Zodiac, we're doing a lot of astro herbalisms, doctrine of signatures. Uh, so you could check that out too. And yeah, that's about it. All right. All right. Let me wrap up here, bud. So I, you know, I've, I've used it. He sent me, Kyle has sent me so many, these are real deal products, which is why we have them on their quality. That's hour one of episode 509. First hour is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode. They also get free access to shoot the moon. By the way, this vinegar thing is real. I mean, it is real, real. It's like jaw dropping real the first time you do it and it and it works correctly. So I hope to see feedback. With that, we're going to prep up for hour two of episode 509 with Jason and Tippy and Kyle from Tippy Canoe Herbs. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher mind new era. And there it is, man. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing.